All right, well, hi everybody. My name is uh, Zachary Moore. It's been a pleasure to be a part of this class uh, over the past year or so. Um, today I'm going to be talking about stem cell biology. Um, as Kevin mentioned, I do have a PhD. Uh, this is in pathobiology and molecular medicine, uh, which is basically a long way of saying that I study the molecular causes for human disease. And part of this uh, course of study involves uh, molecular biology, biochemistry, and cell biology, of which uh, stem cell biology is, is a part of that. So I think it's good some uh, expertise to this. Um, I did come down here to Dallas after I got my PhD uh, to do a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Um, that is completed, and I'm now working as a medical educator uh, for a CME firm here in Dallas. So I do a lot of cancer research. Um, as Kevin mentioned, I have uh, a couple podcasts that I do. I have uh, somewhat of an internet presence, fairly easy to find if you look me up on Google. Uh, two of the podcasts that I do uh, are Evolution, actually the only two podcasts I do are Evolution 101 and Apologia. Evolution 101 I've been doing for uh, about a year now, I suppose. And uh, what I try to do is present uh, the, the facts about evolution uh, and evolutionary concepts in a very simple way that the, the lay person could understand. I'm trying not to, to talk over people's heads and try to make things very accessible. Um, and that's been fairly successful. I've, I've just had my 200,000 download a couple days ago. Um, the other one I started more recently called Apologia, which I've actually done in participation with Kevin and also with Derek here and some other uh, friends of mine, where we talk about um, Things, the type of things that this class talks about, actually, faith and reason, morality, science, things like that, uh, politics, and we just try to provide a very friendly roundtable uh, sort of context that people can talk about their different opinions on things and uh, without feeling like they're under attack or that's like a debate or something like that. So anyway, both of these are available at iTunes, if any of you are familiar with iTunes and that they work. And also my website, drjack.net, if you're interested in checking those out. So, why are we talking about stem cells? Why is this even a topic? There's, there's so many things that are being uh, discovered and studied in science right now. Stem cells are just one of them. So why do we care? Why is it such a big deal? Part of the problem is that science, uh, the study of things, especially in biological systems, can be complicated and difficult. Things are not black and white. Things are not really easy to digest. And so there's a lot of confusion, especially in this, uh, in this area. Also, with stem cells, there are some very important ethical considerations that need to be made. And so whenever ethics are involved, uh, the interest goes, uh, goes way up. But any discussion of stem cells is going to dance around is the, the real crux of the matter. Does stem cell research even work? That's the real sort of nut of that ethical debate. And uh, so I just want to put that up there up front. I'm not going to really get into that until later when we start talking about ethics, but I just want to let you know that I, that I acknowledge that. So what are stem cells? Stem cells are cells that have three properties. They can self-renew. They're undifferentiated and they have the potential to generate differentiated progeny. So any cell that has those three characteristics can be considered a stem cell. And if you have any questions, please 
progeny is um, uh, uh, steps of, like um, progeny means uh, like children almost. Like a cell, a cell divides, a cell divides, and the cells that come after that division of the progeny. I'll get into that later. So, what do stem cells do? Well, they ultimately give rise to all the tissues and the structures that um, that come about during growth and development. Uh, they also maintain and repair all of our adult tissues throughout the course of our life. Um, there is. One theory about aging is that the, uh, the stem cell mechanisms that keep our bodies together and repaired and running actually sort of stop, and that's what causes aging. And the, the, the critical thing about stem cells is that they, they're able to transition from an undifferentiated to a differentiated state. And when I say undifferentiated, I mean you know, sort of like Play-Doh or goo that you can form to something else. It's, it's, it's not really doing anything. It doesn't have a particular function. It's just sort of sitting there, but you can make it into other things. That's what I mean by undifferentiated differentiated. There are two different major types of stem cells. The first one are embryonic stem cells. And those are actually the ones that get most people uh, concerned whenever the ethical discussion comes up. The other types are Human, uh, adult stem cells, uh, of which there are several varieties. Uh, hematopoietic stem cells, those are the stem cells that exist in your bone marrow and uh, reconstitute you know, your immune cells, your red blood cells, all those things you need to survive. Uh, stromal cells, which are other cells also found in your bone marrow that can create other types of cells. Uh, neural cells that repair nerves and may, may actually repair mechanisms in your brain. Uh, and epithelial cells. Um, we tend to sort of ignore these, but your skin, your, your skin is constantly going, undergoing regeneration, and the way that that happens is there are stem cells throughout your skin that are constantly making new skin cells. Your skin cells are always sloughing off, and on the inside, too, through your gut. You know, on the inside of your intestines are always coming off, and so there are little pockets of stem cells throughout your intestine that are constantly regenerating uh, your intestines. Science is sometimes gross. Um, where do they go when they die? Uh, well, they go out. You can talk to her doc. Um, okay, so embryonic stem cells, what are those? Embryonic stem cells are derived from embryos. Embryonic means. Um, these embryos, uh, where we get these stem cells, are actually uh, the results of in vitro fertilization. That is, somebody goes in, I'm sure you're probably familiar with IVF. You go in, you, you get egg cells extracted from the woman and sperm from the man. You mix them in a dish and they fertilize, basically, is how it works. And then the resulting fertilized embryos are then re-implanted into the woman so that she can carry the terms have to get the problem conceived. This is a very typical thing. Thousands and thousands of people do it every day. The problem is that Whenever you work with cells, there's no guarantee that any particular cell is going to turn out the way you really want it. Um, not just with stem cells, but any type of cell culture that you do. And so to compensate for that, what we do is we just work with a lot of cells, and then we pick out the best ones. And uh, whenever they do uh, cloning in mice, for example, they, they always have a, a huge amount of embryos that they pick and choose from. They only choose the best. 
thrown out. They just get flushed down the sink or you know, tossed in the garbage. And uh, what these embryos, these, these in vitro fertilized embryos can be used for is to generate embryonic stem cells. And currently, all the embryonic stem cells, human embryonic stem cells that are in existence now, this is how they've been thrown and derived from in vitro fertilization. What happens is that they are then grown independently in a laboratory culture. Um, I'll get in, I have a couple slides to show how this works later, but they're actually uh, the inside of the blastocyst, which is a, a structure that gets formed at a later stage in embryonic development. The inner cell mass are the, are the cells that can be used as embryonic stem cells. So those are removed from the blastocyst and put in a plate and cultured in the laboratory. And what happens is that as these cells are cultured over time, the ones that remain undifferentiated, so that they remain stem cells, if after a certain period, they can be used then as a primary embryonic stem cell culture. Um, and we call that a line. A particular uh, population of cells that is derived from one blastocyst is a line. Um, and those, those are then pluripotent and undifferentiated cells. And this is how the whole process starts. This is an oocyte, and you can see it's, it's covered in sperm cells. It's not yet fertilized. Um, fertilization is a very complex process, actually, and it's a whole other presentation into itself. But uh, this is basically how it starts. And then this shows uh, the, the sequence of events that occur on the, the upper uh, on the upper left side. You have uh, a single egg that has been fertilized. It's fertilized. Uh, I don't think you can call it at that point. Uh, but then it goes, it undergoes cell division sort of within this. You can see that uh, sort of grain there, the zone of lucida. The, the egg is sort of confined in there. And so it splits into two, and then the two splits into four, and then four splits into eight. And this is actually eight, but there's one on the top and one on the bottom. You can't see it in the lower left hand side. Then the eight splits into 16. And then at about that point, it's, it's called a morula. Somewhere between 12 and I think 30 cells, it's called a morula. And it just keeps on getting more densely packed with cells until what happens is it sort of like inverts on itself. And it splits itself into different layers. And at that point, it's called a blastocyst. And it's more like a, it's like a hollow ball. It sort of pulls apart from the inside. And the blastocyst is there on the lower, lower right-hand side. And um, here are the cells um, that are on the outside of the blastocyst. This cavity is called the blastocytal, and this is the inner cell. This is right there. So those are the cells that are actually going to be extracted. And uh, here's the, uh, another picture of the blastocyst. You see the, the cavity, the inner cell mass, and the zone of pusa is like a, sort of like an eggshell, keeping it all together. And the blastocyst is uh, the stage of development at which it actually gets implanted. This is uh, a blastocyst is necessary for it to actually attach to the wall of the uterus and implant and start forming. Yeah. Is uh, I've talked with, I've done a little bit of, of um, mouse stem cell work, and so I haven't 
actually worked with the cells. What, what typically happens is you get somebody who spends their entire day just working with these cells, and it's very hard for them to describe what a good bunch of cells looks like. It's almost an art form. They almost have to get the sense of you know what they're looking for, and, and they they are able to tell you just by looking at it, these cells look good, these cells don't look good. It's it's sort of not beyond science, but it's very, very complicated. And we typically just hire a single person to do that work because it's very intensive and it takes a lot of training. Yeah, because, I mean, look at it. This is These are what cells, I mean, you can see cartoons of cells in books. They do not look like that. It's not that nice. This, this is what cells really look like. If you're looking at them under you know, a differential microscope and there's like these little fuzzy blobs. It's very hard to actually see all the structures. Um, so it's it's not as nice as the cartoons you see in books or you might see later in this presentation. Uh, so you really do have to get, get a real sense of it. Yeah. Do you know the name of the mean, for fertilization? For fertilization? I don't think it, I don't think they look at thousands. I think it's probably on the order of maybe like 100 percent. So like maybe one out of 100 is, is chosen. Approximately, yeah. Right before an implant, it has to be plastic to implant. If it does not implant, then it's just going to get flushed away. Something, if anything incorrect, there's a there's a whole sequence of events. Everything has to go just perfectly in order for it to you know, divide properly and implant properly. If anything of those things goes wrong, it just gets flushed away. And that's actually the, the vast majority of fertilization events do end up as, as basically miscarriages. They don't even make it to that point. So, right, and you wouldn't know, right? You wouldn't know that you've miscarried just be a normal menstruation somewhere. Um, but yeah, so there's a whole, and you know, there's, there's the possibility that, of course, you know, the fraternal twins, you know, those are basically two different embryos that have been fertilized and they both implant. Monozygotic twins, identical twins, are a little bit different. They're what happens if the cell, before it starts dividing into a memorial, actually splits off and separates so that they're genetically identical. So this is a cartoon, like I was saying, cartoon of what happens, and this looks a lot better than those uh, micrographs. Um, on the upper right-hand side, you've got the Moriola, which is just a bunch of type package of cells in the zone of Brisbane, and then it sort of inverts it. You get that um, the blastocyst um, cell on the outer ring and the inner cell mass, and the inner cell mass is actually what we take out and use to culture. And this is what uh, a culture of embryonic stem cells actually looks like. Um, this mass right there in the middle, that is a clone of some embryonic stem cells, and they're sort of sitting on uh, what are called feeder cells. Those are, I think those are um, actually mouse embryonic stem cells that have been um, differentiated from feeder cells. And the human cells are just sort of sitting there as like a ball right on top. And you need the feeder cells there to keep them from dividing too much and also to provide them nutrients, the essential nutrients that they need. Um, it's, it's a very tricky um, endeavor to keep 
stem cells growing in culture because you have to keep them growing and you have to keep them undifferentiated. And it's, it's very tricky to do, and there's a lot of research that needs to be done to, to really refine that still. Um, so ultimately what happens is you get these cells in the dish, and then they can potentially differentiate. And we have seen examples of these differentiating into neurons, skin cells, muscle cells, fat cells, and hematopoietic uh, cells like red blood cells. And you know, all throughout the human body is you know, very relevant uh, to basically all the organs. We can address certain problems and issues. Those are embryonic stem cells. What about adult stem cells? Well, adult stem cells are similar in that they're undifferentiated. Again, all stem cells are undifferentiated. They self-renew, and they can internally differentiate into some other type of cell. And so adult stem cells are just undifferentiated cells that are located throughout your body. Um, they're, like I said, in your skin, in your liver, and your intestine, all over the place. And they enable tissue repair, organ repair. And um, the problem is that they're, the origins of these cells are a little bit more obscure than embryonic stem cells. It's very easy for us to take a blastocyst, look at it under a microscope, see it divide, take out the cells, and culture them. It's not so easy to find adult stem cells because there's very, very few of them. They don't look like anything special because they're undifferentiated. So they're very tricky to find. And when you do find them, there's like one cell amongst a million. So it's very, very difficult to actually um, get these cells out. We know that they're there, but it's, act it's, it's difficult to get them out and, and culture them. The only ones uh, that we've had much experience with are hematopoietic stem cells. And that's because, quite frankly, it's easy to get. You just open up your blood, you know, they're, they're constantly circulating through your blood supply. And uh, most of the research in adult stem cells has been with hematopoietic stem cells because of that fact. Because we've had access to them for so long, and it's easy to get them. They're in your marrow, and you know them. Um, adult stem cells do have uh, varying degrees of potency. I'll get to potency a little bit later. They're not as potent as embryonic stem cells, but uh, there have been examples of adult stem cells differentiating, trans-differentiating, into different cell lineages. So, for example, there are examples of hematopoietic stem cells that are in your bone marrow differentiating into neurons, or neural cells, basically. And so there is, there is some plasticity there. We're just not sure exactly how much. depends on the source. And the one thing that is certain is that it's not as much as uh, embryonic stem cells. So, to compare the two, embryonic cells are the most potent. Without a doubt, we can do the most with those. Um, just about any regenerative application, and you hear that a lot. You hear that a lot um, nowadays, instead of uh, stem cell work, they talk about regenerative medicine. Regenerative medicine means they're using stem cells. Um, cells is that they're easily obtained. Um, like I said, they're derived from vitro fertilization. They're they're being made without you know without stem cell research anyway. So they're right there. There's an easy source for them. We know you know we know how to get them, and they're relatively easily maintained. There's been a lot of research done 
I say it's not perfect. It's not, you know, and it's not easy, but it's easier than you know, maintaining uh, adult sims. Uh, oh. right. Just because they're more undifferentiated, keep them from, you know, from they're, they're they're more prone to remain in that state. Uh, the advantage of adult stem cells is that if you were able to find a way, like for example, um, uh, a friend of mine was doing uh, some research where he was actually isolating adult stem cells from people uh, that, that had a particular disease, and he was able to make some change to their stem cells and reintroduce them into their bodies. In this case, this is a, uh, a, a transplant that runs no risk of immunological rejection. Because they're your own cells, so that's you know one advantage of having adult stem cells is that if you were able to get sufficient numbers of them and reintroduce them into the same person, then you would run absolutely no risk of rejection. Whereas embryonic stem cells, if you you know unless you get them from somebody's identical twin, uh, you're, you're not going to have that genetic compatibility. Probably not going to have that genetic compatibility. So there's always going to be some problem with rejection, which is the case with all transplants, actually. So I want to talk about potency. Potency is a very critical concept. Um, potency just means the ability to do certain things, the ability to, to, be, to become different cells. And uh, different stem cells, different stages have different levels of potency. Totipotent cells are cells that, they're the original cells that were formed from the union of the spermatocyte and the that, that first group of cells, one, two, four cells, those are totipotent. They can become just about anything. Once it becomes a blastocyst, if you get any any later than that, the, the cells divide into different germ layers, and that's one. Uh, that's the that first crucial differentiation step, and it's very difficult to go backwards in differentiation. So totipotent uh, are from the first few divisions of cells, and those are the best in terms of potency because you can do just about anything. Pluripotent cells uh, are descended from the totipotent cells, and they can uh, form the, the three basic germ cell layers, and you can do just about anything with them, just about anything. Multipotent cells are one step down from pluripotent, and you can do a lot of things, but not everything. Uh, adult stem cells are multipotent. Hematopoietic stem cells are multipotent. They can give rise to all the different immune cells we have, the red blood cells, uh, and even you know, transdifferentiated to neural cells or skin cells and things like that. The unipotent cells um, are self-renewing cells that only reproduce one cell type. So skin stem cells are really unipotent. They only really make skin cells. They just sort of sit there in, in, under, your, uh, under your skin layers and just replicate skin cells. Um, so those they really can't do a lot with unless you want to just make skin cells. You've got those. You've got pluripotent cells, yeah. and then everything was everything was past that. Uh, you, you lose potency. So this this helps illustrate that this, this differentiation. Uh, up on the top, you've got uh, a single a red cell 
that can divide whenever a cell divides between those two cells. Uh, one of the cells is a red cell, one on the right uh, stays a red cell and actually continues to divide. The one on the left divides again, it might divide into a red cell and a green cell. The green cell is further differentiated, but losing potency. That green cell cannot replicate the red cells. And so the green cells can replicate themselves or they can replicate the orange cells. But the orange cell then is permanently differentiated. It's become a cell that no, can no longer you know, replicate itself and generate uh, more or further differentiated cells. So this is the differentiation process as it comes down the sort of lineage from that first cell to the last cell. And you know, of course, it's more than two cells we're talking about here. Because they replicate a lot. You get a whole bunch of cells out of this. No, not not really. There's a lineage. I mean, there's a lineage there, which is similar to evolution, but uh, it's not that these cells are becoming different species or, or things like that. Yeah. The least differentiated cells. on how the cells are cultured and what are done with them, but it is limited. Any, any primary cell culture, not just stem cells, but you can get cells, you know, from, from your gut or something like that and culture them, cells from your, your skin and culture them, and those are considered primary stem cells, not stem cells, primary cells because they come from a living organism. And those cells, those primary cells are good for a little while, but they're not good forever. The cells that are good forever become good forever because there's mutation induced, or we get them from a cancerous tumor. Tumors are cellularly immortal. And those are good for some applications, but the, the changes that, that they undergo to make them immortal and make them last forever can alter their, their biology and can make things not work the same in these immortal cell lines, the same as the word in primary cell lines. So, yeah. Well, again, the, the embryonic stem cells only come from in vitro fertilization. So, the blastocyst is the terminal, that's as far, that's as, far as the embryo can itself develop in the ditch, it's not going to go any farther. In order for it to go farther, it's got to be implanted into a woman. Well, not necessarily has to be a blastocyst. It, you, could, you could take it from an earlier time point, and I'll, I'll mention that later. There's, there's been some recent research that suggests that might be a possibility. For stem cells? I would think so. That's what they, yeah, yeah they, they, they freeze them and they say, typically though, the ones that are frozen are frozen, you know, because somebody wants to use them, you know, to have a baby at some point. And so I don't think they would go in and take the frozen ones, unless, unless they're being discarded. Yeah, yeah there are stem cells, there are stem cells in the umbilical cord. 
court, court blood. Um, but that, those are not embryonic cells. Yeah. The, the court, the, the stem cells in the cord blood are probably the least differentiated adult stem cells that you're going to get in your life. So as far as adult stem cell applications, cord blood is the absolute best thing to have. Well, potentially, yeah, potentially anything that adult stem cells can be used for, cord blood can be used for. Potentially, I mean, uh, again, you're, you're pretty closely related to other family members, so if you could give them a kidney, then you could give them you know, cord blood. I don't, I don't know personally of any cases where that's actually happened, but certainly the potential. Like I said, the advantage of having the advantage of having that is you know that as you go throughout life, if you get any sort of disease or anything where stem cell therapy would be advantageous, if they can use your core blood to what's been what's been safe, if they can use that to generate tissue or whatever, then you know it's your own tissue, essentially. And it's not gonna be rejected. You're not gonna have any typical side effects that you have when you print that. Well, you can't get that with zero. It's it's typically liquid nitrogen, which is I think uh, 212 minus 212 here. Yeah, absolute zero is physically impossible. Yes. cell is used here sort of um, metaphorically in that you have one cell giving rise to progeny. So it's just a term, it doesn't mean it's actually a female cell. Um, in terms of choosing the, the gender, that that is before the cell is fertilized because once the uh, the gender is contributed by the, the male, see the, there's either a Y chromosome or an X chromosome and a sperm cell. So it is possible to um, because the X chromosome is so much larger than the Y chromosome, it's possible to spin them down, and the Y, the X, the ones with the X chromosome, the ones that will give rise to daughters, are actually heavier. And so they'll come down like this, and the male sperm cells will stay like this, and so you can, it's not perfect, but you can increase your chances of having a daughter or, or a son. It's not perfect. Okay, this is just a simple graph just to, to reiterate this point about differentiation focusing. Uh, on the bottom, you've got that differentiation scale. The further it differentiates, the lower the potency goes down. So like on the upper hand, on the upper left-hand side, you've got the embryonic stem cells, which are you know, non-differentiated but very potent. Then you go all the way down to the adult stem cells, which are sort of in the middle. And then you've got the somatic cells, which are the terminally differentiated cells that really do not have any potency at all. So, so now we know pretty much what stem cells are and what they do. What can they do for us? What are the research benefits? Well, uh, quite a number of things actually. In development research, uh, stem cells can be used to investigate uh, how birth defects are formed, uh, genetic abnormalities, 
um, we don't really have a good model of, you know, uh, like Down syndrome or these other chromosome left abnormalities. We might be able to model that better using stem cells. Um, drug testing. Uh, if we can differentiate, if we have a pool of stem cells that we can turn into whatever we want, we can see what the effects of any drug is going to be in any tissue in the body. And reliably, and because each these the stem cells are clonal, so we know exactly, you know, what they are, and they all come from the same source, and so that's it's a more reliable way of testing for potency of different drugs. And of course, there are a number of cell-based therapies, and this is what the, the regenerative medicine school really gets into, where we're able to, to create transplantable cells or tissues or organs. Um, and I'm going to go through um, just a whole list of some potential applications. Uh, brain damage. Uh, brain injury, most types of brain injury are associated with the death of neurons. Um, if we have neural stem cells, uh, we can use those to contribute to the population of neurons in the brain um, during pregnancy, for example, or after injury. And in adults, um, the problem is after an injury, the neural, stem, the neural stem cell activity is usually insufficient, usually it's not high And so if we were able to add some more in there, we could maybe help people recover from things like strokes or you know, brain injury or spinal cord injury. Spinal cord injury. Um, and uh, I have some uh, some references here, some papers that you can check out. Um, Maury et al. in the Journal of Cerebral Blood Flow Metabolism, uh, just in, in 2005. And we've been able to show that human embryonic stem cells, um, we can do this, we can differentiate them into neural stem cells. And uh, they're able to integrate into the host brain, they're able to form relevant synapses with the other neurons that are in there. Uh, and this has been published. But again, it's you know none of this research is um, is been uh, fully evaluated. Uh, one step down from the brain is the spinal cord. Uh, spinal cord injury can result in uh, paralysis. Christopher Reeve, a number of other people have this happen. Uh, work in Korea. This is just a single example, so you know, don't, don't be too excited about this. But uh, stem cells were actually used in Korea from uh, umbilical cord blood. And transmit into a Korean patient who had been paralyzed with a spinal cord injury, and uh, she's now able to walk around and that's her around the right. Uh, but again, that's just one case. Uh, human, human embryonic stem cells uh, have been shown to be able to differentiate from other neurons, so we know that this is possible. Um, another potential application is Lugaric's disease, which is not exactly a spinal cord injury, but something different than multiple body paralysis. But um, neural stem cells. Um, I don't know, but uh, you can check check that paper and uh, find out more about her. But she's I think she's at least able to walk. Uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, this was a big one uh, back in the election. Of course, Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's disease, and he was lobbying pretty strongly uh, for a number of uh, stem cell initiatives throughout the country. It's a motor disorder that's caused by the loss of a particular type of neuron in the brain, called dopaminergic neurons. They're neurons that produce dopamine, basically, the essential neurotransmitter. Um, and if you don't have enough dopamine, you get hyperkinesis, which is the inability to learn. And uh, it's, you know, it's a debilitative disease. And uh, so again, 
human embryonic stem cells have been shown to differentiate into these dopaminergic neurons. And so if we, could, if we could take these and put them in humans, then we might be able to restore uh, some of the symptoms, of the symptoms like uh, the uh, Diabetes. Uh, type 1 diabetes is caused by a lack of beta cells, which are cells that produce insulin. Um, and so the lack of this insulin results in a lack of glucose regulation, because that's what insulin does. It maintains your glucose levels at a steady state. Um, and so the loss of this causes many side effects that anybody with diabetes is You get comas, uh, you have a high risk of vascular disease, both macro and micro, um, lens to it, because with the small vessels just you know, shut off. Um, there are also other types of neuropathies. You can have retinopathies. My cousin has type 1 diabetes, and she's losing sight in her eyes because of it. Um, so it's been shown that embryonic stem cells can differentiate into insulin-producing cells uh, in vitro, and that uh, the transplantation of these insulin-producing cells, which can ameliorate diabetes symptoms, uh, that was done in the Um, 
for some people, death was caused by the loss, by the loss of particular cochlear cells in their in their heart. And uh, it's been shown that mouse olfactory stem cells, that's the stem cells that are in the nose, uh, can be differentiated from cochlear cells. So there's potential for that. Blindness. Um, there's a guy who's transplanted uh, retinal sheets. He actually takes these stem cells and turns them into these little sheets of retinal cells and he implants them into rats. He's actually done it with one human who's had the benefit. She had uh, like 2800 vision and now she has uh, 2080. So it's not perfect, but it's even better. She was legally blind. Um, uh, corneal stem cells, uh, if you have any corneal injuries, uh, corneas kind of weird because it has no blood in um, So it actually yeah, might be a little bit more beneficial than that. Yeah. Okay. If, if you're taking these stem cells, I, well, like, for instance, without the teeth, can you get to keep going? Well, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes it make only one tooth and not too many teeth? Or molar. Well, it's sort of it's sort of functions. It functions the same way that the teeth in your your, your normal teeth. So, but only know it's gonna only make one one Well, they have what they do is they generate a pro tooth. So it's like one little tooth in the dish, and it, it'll grow, but it'll, it'll stop growing once it you know hits. The, 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 it's not gonna. It's not gonna fill your mouth. With <laughs> well, the same things that make your teeth stop. The signals that they get from your mouth and blood supply and all that stuff. And the internal signals that are in the cells that they know when I say know in quotes. But you know, the signals that are within the cell cause it to stop and be appropriate. Uh, finally another big one, cancer, and this is actually not um, not using transplantable stem cells, but Cancer cells, if you think about it, cancer cells are remarkably similar to stem cells in that they self-renew, they replicate all the time, and they're relatively undifferentiated. So there's been uh, a lot of talk over the past couple decades, but only recently has there been some, some real significant research suggesting that there may be uh, a stem cell, there's a hypothesis that stem cells or a type of stem cells may actually be what gives rise to cancer. And like I said, there's been a lot of a lot of data that's come out recently within the past few years that's indicated more and more strongly that this might be so. Uh, if this is the case, then we might be going about this all wrong. It might be better for us to target those cancer stem cells specifically, and that might be the only way to really cure cancer. And um, to show you just a, an example of this, on the, on the left you've got, um, this is, this is what the hypothesis says. You've got that yellow cell, which is a cancer stem cell, and it's creating all these cancer cells and its progeny, and those are all the blue cells around them. Right now what we do is we're shown on the bottom, conventional cancer therapy where we target those cancer cells, which are different from any stem cell population. They're fast-growing, um, they're resistant to drugs, uh, or they're not resistant, not so resistant to drugs. And so we're able to kill off those cancer cells, the tumor cells, but the stem cells are still there, and the tumors come back. Whereas if we're able to target, devise drugs to target those cancer stem cells, stem cells specifically, <laughs> we could 
kill the thing that's actually causing the, the cancer, then the tumor would might progress on its own. Or we could use, you know, standard chemotherapy if we really needed to, to, to kill off those cells. And that would represent an honest to goodness cure for cancer. Now, the, uh, the AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, has issued a, a report on stem cell research. And they've made some recommendations that I'm just going to, I thought I'd share these with you, so I'm going to move this on. They say that human stem cell research holds enormous potential for contributing to our understanding of fundamental human biology. Although it's not possible to predict the outcomes from basic research, such studies will offer the real possibility for treatments and ultimately for cures for many diseases for which adequate therapies do not exist. This research raises ethical and policy concerns, but these are not unique to stem cell research. Existing federal regulatory and professional control mechanisms combined with informed public dialogue provide a sufficient framework for oversight of stem cell research. Federal funding for stem cell research is necessary in order to promote investment in this promising line of research to encourage sound public policy and to foster public confidence for the conduct of such research. Public and private research on human stem cells derived from all sources should be conducted in order to contribute to the rapidly advancing and changing scientific understanding of the potential of human stem cells from these various sources. Public funding should be provided for embryonic stem cell and embryonic germ cell research, but not at this time for activities involved in isolation of embryonic stem cells, about which there remains continuing debate. So they're basically saying public funds are necessary, but for now, let's not use public funds to actually harvest these embryonic stem cells because they're embryonic Embryonic stem cells should be obtained from embryos resulting, remaining from infertility procedures after the embryos progenitors have made the decision that they do not wish to preserve them. This should be explicitly renewed prior to securing the progenitors' consent to use the embryos in ESL research. Consent is very important. In order to allow persons who hold diverse more positions on the status of the early embryo to participate in stem cell research to the greatest degree possible without compromising their principles and also to foster sound science, stem cells should be identified with respect to their original source. So people, if they don't want to use embryonic stem cells, they should know which ones are embryonic stem cells so they don't use them. If you're interested in the full report, it is available online at this website. You have the address there on your handout. So now, sort of transitioning from the science into the ethical problem and going into what Kevin and I are talking about. The problem is that embryos are regarded by many to have equivalent ethical status as humans. And thus, embryonic stem cell harvesting is viewed as killing life to save them. As our president put it. The crux of this issue rests on how humanity, the concept of humanity, is defined and conferred. While we're thinking about that, I'll post some other ethical conundrums that are relevant and similar to this. Chimeras, I don't know if anybody referred to chimeras. Chimeras are a combination of cells or DNA from two different species. And on the lower right hand here, what you see is a geek. This is a chimera of a goat and a sheep. And you see, it's kind of hard to see, but there are patches of this animal that are woolly, and those are sheep cells. And there are patches on this animal that are not woolly, those are goat cells. This is actually made by taking a goat embryo and a sheep embryo, and fusing it together, and letting it grow. And because goats and sheep are relatively closely related, you know, if they end up being viable, you've got this animal. Well, what is it? Is it a goat, or is it a sheep? 
hard to say. Probably a sheep. I don't know. But uh, regardless, if, if, if this was going, this is not a self-replicating organism. If this were to have progeny, it would be, it would give birth to either goats or sheep. It wouldn't give birth to another sheep. Okay, so whichever whichever other reproductive cells in this animal are going to be passed on. Not the, if it's, it's not sheep, it's not going to give birth to sheep, it's going to give birth to birds. We use chimeras a lot in when we make uh, mouse models. Uh, whenever we generate new transgenic mouse models, we do that by making chimeras. Chimeras are being made all the time, but this is a problem in categories, categorization. What do you classify these? Another problem is uh, chimeric mouse models. As I was just saying, we, were, we use uh, chimeras uh, work with mice a lot. And there are some mice which contain human DNA. One really uh, important example is it's called the xenomouse. Um, and this is a mouse that actually contains the human HLA domain, which is used to make antibodies. So we use this xenomouse uh, to make antibodies, sort of like we do with other mice. But instead of mouse antibodies, it makes human antibodies. So we can use antibodies from this mouse in human applications without worrying about, you know, it actually uh, cross-reacting with the mouse molecule. So it's a lot safer to use. But the problem is, how much human DNA can you put into a mouse before it's no longer a mouse? One gene, two genes, where do you draw the line? So this is, you know, this is sort of a problem to think about. And there's yet another problem. Stem cells do not actually have to come from in vitro fertilization. We use somatic cell cloning to generate embryonic stem cells. Uh, all you have to do is remove the nucleus from a somatic cell, any cell in your body, implant that nucleus into an unfertilized oocyte or an egg cell, uh, and you get an embryo. This is used to make Dolly the sheep. Uh, and many other species, clones have been made of lots of different species, cats, I think dogs too. Um, and this basically shows how it's done. You've got the oocyte on the, on the left-hand side, you take out the nucleus, you add the nucleus from a different cell, and you get the same exact process. You get the morula, you get the processes, you get that in your cell mix. <laughs> this is cloned. I don't know about your, your right. You could clone. You could you could clone yourself. I don't think you could. You could you couldn't do what's necessary to get your your husband's DNA, but but you could clone yourself. But anyway, so this is another way to get embryonic stem cells. So is this? I mean, these are embryonic stem cells. These, these could become another person, but potentially. But you know, they're derived from you know. So I might pluck out of my face. Well, they do. They do form blastocysts. And they, they do. When they take them, they are as blastocysts. Yes. I mean, you could you could generate these in vitro and you know take them that way. Um, so the, these are problems that we have to sort of deal with, and, and I'll mention some stem cell alternatives. Um, uh, as you mentioned. Um, it is possible, they've just shown just last year, about November of last year, the paper course should show that you can remove a single cell from the eight cell stage and develop that into uh, an embryonic stem cell culture. 
and that the what you've taken it from that Morula at that point can go on and differentiate or go on and become a blastocyst and become a fully you know, implantable fetus. And this was viewed by many to be a problem to this because we are not actually destroying the embryo taking the cells. The problem is, well, it is still a risk to the embryo. I mean, you're, you're, you're pulling cells out of something. There is still a risk to it. And so the Southern Baptist Commission actually rejected this as a viable alternative, as an ethical alternative to that because of that. And also scientists are skeptical that the derived cells uh, will actually be as potent as the traditional ESL because of the different ways that they're starting to manipulate. There's another possibility, and this was just uh, just a little while ago, that it was uh, a paper published to show that stem cells can be removed from any out of fluid. And that this might be uh, uh, an ethical alternative to using embryonic stem cells. But there's problems with this, too. Uh, amniocentesis, you're sticking a needle in there and drawing with cells, that's a risk to the fetus. You get an increased risk of miscarriage if you do that. So is that an ethical alternative? And the other problem is, you know, well, we don't know exactly how potent they are, and they're certainly further down from the blastocyst level of embryonic stem cells, so we don't know if, they're, if it's as potent as embryonic stem cells, so it's, it's not really a good alternative. And the other ethical problem um, that's common to any truly potent cell line is wherever, whatever source you get them from, if you get them to that point where they're indistinguishable, truly indistinguishable from embryonic stem cells, they're still going to have that potential to develop the fetus. So you run into the, whatever alternative you come up with, if you can get them to that point, then you've also you've always got that ethical consideration to examine. So is there a solution uh, is there a, is there a possible solution for this kind of thing? Um, part of it is, and I'm going back to what I mentioned about the chimera and cloning and all that, is we're sort of beset by what uh, Richard Dawkins actually calls the tyranny of the discontinuous model. This is derived from platonic idealism, uh, that, that branch of philosophy, in which we think that there's this thing, and then there's this thing, and there is, there's a wall between them. And this thing cannot turn into this thing. And there, there's, there's uh, something is either this or that. There's no in between. Science does not show this. Science does not show discrete transitions. Everything is gradual. Nothing is black and white in science. Um, I gave a presentation recently about the problem of species, in which the species as an evolutionary concept is problematic for this exact same reason. Because we can, sh we can see examples of a continuous gradient in biology in current extant species. And so even classifying a cat as a cat and a dog as a dog can be problematic. Humanity itself, the concept of humanity, is really not a scientifically meaningful concept. It's a mean. Is it anything more than just a subjective concept? Well, I don't think so, but I don't think that really matters. I think as a subjective concept, we have to assign that. We can't measure that. We have to decide for ourselves what is human and what is not. And it's, that's not something that science can really weigh in on. Um, 